Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. This morning, our sermon lesson comes from Ruth chapter 1 as we begin our sermon series called Ruth, a story of our redemption. I want to invite you to open up to that. We're going to read that right away. As you get to Ruth chapter 1, let me tell you a little bit about this book, the way it's set up. Ruth is set up, if you will, in four different acts. In that way, it's somewhat of a play, if you will. Four chapters, four different acts uh, that tell the story of Ruth and though other memorable characters that are in her life as well. We're going to take Ruth chapter one in two weeks, both this week and next week. And this morning, we're going to read the first 14 verses. This is Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have showed kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband." And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And she said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband, tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. The word of your Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. There was a famine in Bethlehem. The result? There was no bread in the cupboards in the homes in Bethlehem. And that's ironic. <laughs> that's ironic because Bethlehem means house of bread. But no worries. There's a man from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, a man who during the time of the judges, during a time when everyone did what they wanted and, and no one really listened to God, there seemed to be hope. There was a man who, who at least by his name seemed to trust God. His name meant God is my king. His name's Elimelech. And Elimelech faithfully, or, or at least as, as a last resort, packs up his family, and, and they go to live in a foreign land, the land of Moab. And, and yes, it, it wasn't Israel, but at least there, his wife Naomi and his two sons could have their bellies filled, even as Bethlehem was empty. That's the story. That's the story of this family, a faith-filled family of four, and, and it's, it's that quick, isn't it? Just as the details of their life begin to get filled in, everything's taken away. I mean, the narrator tells this story so fast that you don't even pause to process what, what just happened. I mean, first, they're forced to leave their home. They're forced to cross the border, go into another land. All why? So they can try to make ends meet, so they can try to have a somewhat fulfilling life. But gentlemen, did you, did you catch it? Did you even have time to process what it meant for Elimelech to leave his homeland? Oh, it meant more than his pockets were empty. It meant him giving up his land in Israel. Oh, he gave up what it meant to be a man in Israel, his land. And no, you don't have time to empathize with Elimelech because just like that, he dies. And why? He dies because of murder, because of the famine, because of old age. We don't know. It just says he dies. Ladies, could you even empathize and relate or think about what it must have been like for Naomi to live in a foreign land and have all of the fears that went along with that, but without a husband? Of course not, because we move right on to their two sons, Malon and Kilion, who, to fill up the emptiness in their lives, marry two Moabite wives. And even then, you don't pause to think about what it must have been like for these two young boys to grow up with no father, to get married and not have dad at the wedding, to start a family of their own and he's not even there. Because with a stroke of the pen, the narrator writes them off. Malon and Kilion die. And there we are with no explanation, and with little emotion, the narrator takes this family and completely empties them. Verse six says this, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Empty. And yet there's more. The narrator, who reports the loss of this life and the death of three men just, just that quickly, well, shares an important detail that there was more loss. There's more emptiness. 
Verse 4, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. 10 years. 10 years of marriage. Did you catch what the narrator is telling you? It's a small but important detail that the narrator wants you to see. And and just because so many can just up and have kids, it's easily missed. Ten years of marriage and no children is when the reality sets in. There would be no biological baby. In the same sentence where Malon and Killian die, what the narrator tells you is that the wombs of Orpah and Ruth, (laughs) they're also empty. And so there they are, three widows in just five verses who endure 10 years of famine, the death of their husbands, the death of a father, the death of two sons are left. And you see just the pitilessness and bitterness of the loss. This is what we read. Naomi is completely empty. When Naomi heard, though, in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Naomi's life in Moab, is completely empty. So she packs up. She leaves. Would you fault me? Would you fault me if I told you that Naomi's emptiness, though, well, it didn't have so much to do with the events of her life, but it had much more to do with the matter of her heart. You might say, come on, (laughs) you might actually fault me. You might say, Matt, like, have some sympathy. Have some sympathy for someone who just lost her husband, her two sons, had no ability to get married, had no inheritance to her name, had no assurance that she would have any of the comforts that would come through them in her own age. Cut her some slack. I wouldn't fault you if you you said that. So don't take my word for it. Listen to Naomi's words and look and and see what happens next. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi's emptiness Naomi's emptiness, it's not so much a matter of the events of her life, but rather it's a matter of her heart. Yes, she talks about the name of the Lord. Yes, she uses the covenantal name of the Lord that has to do with his faithful love. Yes, she talks about her two daughters-in-law mirroring that faithful love in their relationship with her and her dead sons. Yes, she talks about all of that and wishes them well, but to whom does she address her daughters to find rest? 
Where does she tell them to go to look for rest and fullness in their emptiness? To God, to God, the promised one, the, to God, the one who gives his faithful love to all of us? No. To their mother's homes, to the home of another husband in Moab. Do you know what would have been in the homes of the Moabites? Without a doubt, it was gods that were not the gods of Israel. It was the gods of Baal, Peor, and Kamish, gods who required human sacrifice, gods who, for worship, well, it was more sexual perversion than worship. How could Naomi encourage this? Why would she encourage her daughters to go here to these people? It's because Naomi forgot. Naomi forgot that fullness in life, rest in life, is much more about God's faithfulness to us. And emptiness, restlessness, that results from our faithlessness to him. Look, faithlessness in life doesn't have to be heinous acts of evil. Naomi is not out here being a prostitute or worshiping false gods that require human sacrifice. No, faithlessness, it's simply sin. St. Augustine defines sin and, and really what it means to live faithlessly like this. He said that faithlessness and sin is simply a misprioritization, a misordering of our loves. It is giving our hearts too much to things that aren't worthy of love instead of giving our hearts to the one who loved us first. In other words, it's this. Being faithless, when you and I are faithless, we're no better and no worse than the most faithless atheist who worships a god or things that are too small instead of the great God, the God of faithful love, who gives us all, who holds all in his hands and created the world. Faithlessness is, is simply going after food that spoils instead of food that gives life, the bread of life. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And that's what Naomi did. And that's why Naomi's empty. Naomi's empty because she forgot that, that God, God is faithful to us and God is what gives us fullness in our life. Emptiness, that's a result of, of our faithlessness of our pursuing bread that spoils, looking for fullness in a husband that, that's no longer there, looking for fullness in sons. And let me give you to you very simply what sons were for mothers in Old Testament Israel. That was their retirement plan. It's looking for fullness in a place that once looked like the greener grass, but now it had browned. It's looking for fullness in a land that you once ran from, but now we're running home too. Now, Naomi was looking for food to fill her, but she was looking at food that spoiled. And that's why she experienced emptiness. It's because Naomi forgot. 
Fullness comes from God's faithfulness to us, the God who promises his love and faithfulness. And our emptiness? Well, that only comes from our faithlessness to him. She goes on, Naomi, with her loves misprioritized and disordered, even says this to her daughters. She kissed her daughters-in-law goodbye, and they wept aloud. And her daughters-in-law said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, no. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. We cannot overstate it enough. We cannot overstate enough the plight of Naomi. Naomi is too old to work. She's too old to have sons. There is no inheritance to their name. There is no hope that she has to have comfort in age that would have come from sons or a husband or an inheritance. There's no hope for her in Israel. And yet, what does she think? As she talks to her daughters-in-law, she talks as though she is their only hope in Israel, their only hope for recreation, reconciliation, only hope for redemption. She's the only hope in Israel. What about the God of Israel? Do you see what's happening here? Count up the me's and the eyes. Naomi's talking to her daughters-in-law, women who have just lost their husbands. And what does she say to them? It's more bitter for me than you. It's worse for me than you because the Lord's hand is against me. Augustine said it. He rightly defined a deep biblical truth that we need to see here in Ruth. Augustine said that human emptiness is the result of faithlessness, of people trusting lesser goods more than the greater God of faithful love. He said that human emptiness, it's the result of our faithlessness. It's the result of us looking for love in finite things instead of looking for the love of God in the infinite God who calls himself the great I am. He's talking about what Jesus said in our lesson from John. Filling ourselves with food that spoils, with bread that spoils, over and above the bread of life. What I'm talking about is you and me. You and me going off to the metaphorical land of Moab. You know, the place that looks promising at first the place that you return to again and again, and yet it leaves you empty and never fills you up. I'm talking about me and you looking at relationships or how we relate to other people as a way to get a sort of right footing in this world instead of looking to the relationship that we have in Christ and how he gives us righteousness by faith even in life. 
Look, it's easy to say and to say out loud that we have the loves in our lives prioritized rightly. It's easy to give lip service to that. But it's not our words that show where our hearts lie. It's our actions. We say we love God above all else. And yet, if you spent more time this last week consuming media or looking at Instagram over and above looking at the word of God, the bread of life that he serves to you on the pages of scripture, you love social media more than you love God. It's easy to say that I love God above all else. But when you spend more time acting and planning out how you're going to use your time, your talents, and your energies for yourself over and above thinking through and actually using your time, talents, and abilities to give glory to God, you love yourself more than you love God. It's easy to say that you love God, but when you share the gospel, the message of Jesus' love, the message of his forgiveness with no one, do you really love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself? Naomi forgot. Naomi forgot that fullness in life, rest for our souls, comes from the faithfulness of God and emptiness Emptiness results from our faithlessness to God. Have we forgotten the same? Naomi, with more tears and more hugs, says goodbye to one more thing in her life. At this, they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. What is it that persuades Orpah to leave and go home to her mother, to go home, to look for another husband, to go back to her people? It's Naomi. It's Naomi's insistence that there is no hope for you. There's no hope for redemption in me. There's no hope for you in Israel. She forgets about the God of Israel. Orpah doesn't even have to say why she left. Naomi says it herself. In the next verse, we read Naomi talking to Ruth, say, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods, the gods of Kamish and Baal, the gods that require a sick sacrifice and the gods that are a sorry excuse to break the sixth commandment. See what's happening, don't you? Naomi's faithlessness results in her emptiness. And her emptiness and faithlessness, it leads to an empty way of life for someone else. I got to ask you, maybe you're familiar with this story, but maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe it's new. I got to ask you, who do you identify with in this story? It's easy if 
you've been around the church for a minute and maybe have a thumbnail sketch of, of what goes on in the book of Ruth, it's, it's easy to identify with Ruth, to look at Ruth and all the goodness about Ruth, which we'll take a look at soon enough, and say, you know what, that's whom I want to be like. It's easy to identify with the person whose name is on the cover of the book. And yet when we do that, when we do that and we kind of take this mechanical emulation and really misplaced motivation to try, try, try all our might to be generous and good like Ruth, well, we end up emptier than when we first began these self-salvation projects. The truth is, you and I are no Ruth. The truth is that, that you and I are no Ruth, but here in Ruth, there is a truth. <laughs> there is a truth that is so key to understanding fullness in life. Rest for your soul. Here in Ruth, there is a key, a truth to get rid of emptiness, but you have to see it standing in the right place. You have to see it understanding this. You and I, we're all a bunch of Naomi's. We're a bunch of Naomi's, empty, too weak to give anything, any sort of work up for our redemption on our own. We're too prideful, too prideful to produce anything that's good in the eyes of God. We're too broken to produce anything anything that God would find pleasing. We're no beauties. We're no beauties whatsoever. And in every turn, there's only failure. The truth here in Ruth is that you and I are a bunch of Naomi's, empty. And yet whose story is the narrator telling? Whose story is the narrator telling over and over on these opening pages? And you'll see throughout this book of Ruth, it's Naomi's. Yes, I know the book is called Ruth, and I know it's called Ruth, and you might know why too. It's because Ruth is the hero. She's the heroine of Naomi. And yet the arc of this story, the arc of this story could only be summarized as the utter emptying of Naomi. <laughs> and the emptying of you and I as well. The complete and utter emptying of ourselves and all of the fake food, all of the fake bread that spoils that we pursue and try to fill ourselves up on. You and I are a bunch of Naomi's. We're empty, completely empty, were it not for the completely unreasonable generousness of someone else. We're empty, were it not for the completely outside of the bounds of human reasonableness that we see in someone who sticks by our side. The word of the Lord makes it so remarkably clear. It says this, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to Naomi, tenaciously refusing to leave her side no matter what. And who does that remind you of? like a barnacle to a ship, like a burr to a saddle, like a husband to a wife, like God to a sinner. Who clings by your side closer than that? 
don't you see in this story of redemption, in this story of Ruth, we see how we are redeemed from a completely empty, completely pitiful way of life and given fullness. Fullness from someone who stays close by our side, someone who will never leave no matter how big of a mess or how hot of a mess we are. Someone who comes into our life and sticks so close, closer than a friend, even when the only thing we have to offer them is our complaints. Don't you see Jesus? Here in the story of Ruth, you see your Redeemer. Your Redeemer who redeemed us from an empty way of life and gave us his fullness. But Ruth clung to her. (laughs) You got to go back to verse 8 where Ruth is standing next to Naomi. She's with her. And yet what does Naomi pray? Naomi prays that she's going to go away. Naomi says it nicely. She says, may the Lord show you kindness. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest, but find it away from me. <laughs> and there we, there we see the picture of our lives. We see us doing really everything imaginable to push God out of our life, to push our Savior away. And yet he remains. He clings close to us, not letting go of us, grabbing us fast with his arms, arms that were stretched out on the cross. And there he poured out the fullness of God from himself. He emptied himself. All why? So that we who were empty could be filled with him, filled with his love and his forgiveness. It's remarkable. In this story, standing as God's people in the place of Naomi, we see that we have nothing to offer We have no hope to offer. We have nothing in and of ourselves that could give redemption. We think we can, and yet we can't. All we have to offer our hero, our Jesus, is our sins. All we have to offer him is release from his responsibility to take care of us and our baggage, and we do it all of the time by our faithlessness and our rebellion. And yet, what does he do? He clings to us. He holds fast to us and does not let us go. And then he walks with us. He walks with us all the way through life to the next life, all the way to Bethlehem, to the house of bread, where he fills us up with the bread of life. Where do you see yourself in the story of Ruth? When you see yourself in the place of Naomi, what you have here is the story of your redemption. Yes, it's the story of your complete emptying, but your complete filling, your complete filling in the one who gives of his fullness, the one who is the bread of life, the one who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never go thirsty. What you have here is, yes, the cathartic absorption of yourself into someone who is bigger, greater, and better. You have a cathartic absorption into your Savior. Your Savior who says to you at his table, come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come, here, take and eat. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. 
Come here in the waters of your baptism, which fill you up every single day. And now you see, now you know what it means to be drowned and buried with him in death. It's the emptying of ourselves and we're raised. How? In those same waters to life with Christ. A life I no longer live for myself, but a life I live for him who died for me and gave himself up for me. You see it. You see it here, a God who gives you his word, who gives you the content, the consumption, the bread of life, and says, this is for you. This is where two or three gather together in my name. There I am with them, uniting each other with each other, yet uniting you with me, where I will never leave you. I will always cling to you. I've wondered... (laughs) in writing this sermon, was was I too harsh? Was I too harsh on Naomi? I mean, after all, she's turning, returning to the Lord, to the house of bread, to Bethlehem. Were we too harsh on her? And yet you see, in Naomi, she has no hope against all hope, unreasonable as it might seem, as reckless as it seems to her person, There is hope. There's hope in a young Moabitess. There's hope in someone who who completely gives up a future for themselves, who completely sacrifices any semblance of self-thought. And yet what you see is the narrator write into this story someone's character, someone's identity, and holds it always before you. Were we too harsh on ourselves? I don't think so. Because what I want you to see is against all hope, when there was absolutely no hope for us, Christ clings to you. He clings to you still now and even to this day. What the author of life did is write into your story, his story of redemption. He wrote into your redemption, the redemption from emptiness, and he gave you fullness, fullness in the bread of life, who is Christ. Amen.